Hey everybody, this is Doug Robertson of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution with another edition of the Southern Fried Soccer Pollen Covered Podcast. I hope you're having a good day. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Doug Robertson AJC, on Facebook at Atlanta United News Now, and on Instagram at Douglas David Robertson. On Saturday, Atlanta United is going to go on its first road game at Charlotte. The time listed is 12 o'clock, but they're actually going to kick off at 1225 the game will be broadcast on Fox or on the Apple channel, or the MLS channel on Apple, I should say. Atlanta United is 1-0-1 this season. It feels like it dropped two points in last week's draw with Toronto. Charlotte is 0-2-0. The game is going to be at Bank of America Stadium. On the rest of this podcast, you're going to hear from Brooks Lennon, Amar Sadich, Andrew Gutman, Gonzalo Pineda, and I'm going to answer your many, many questions about the MLS team. And we're also going to incorporate a new sound effect that I hope y'all will like. And if you don't, just tell me and we'll end it. It doesn't hurt my feelings, but we just thought it was a little bit fun. If this is your first time listening to us, please make sure to follow the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. This is Southern Fried Soccer from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. So, Atlanta United has scored three goals. It leads the league in chances created. It's uh, It looked a lot better on offense against Toronto than I thought it did against San Jose. Against San Jose, it looked a little too much like last season. But against Toronto, a lot of unique movements, a lot of unique runs, a lot of decent chances created, just the one goal, and it came from a twice-deflected shot by Mateus Uzetu. Atlanta had another goal called back for an offside that really wasn't offside. But here's Brooks London talking about what the team's focus is on offense. You know, we're getting in those those areas. That's what, you know, Gonzalo's wanting us to to continue to improve on is, um, you know, the, the goal scoring opportunities that we get in games. We need to, um, you know, have better clear, uh, clear cut chances um, and opportunities for our strikers. We have, you know, such quality guys in, in the final third and we just need to give them uh, tap ins instead of uh, relying upon, you know, shots outside, from outside the box and, um, you know, having someone score an absolute absolute banger of a goal or whatever it may be. Atlanta United put in, I think it was 38 crosses, including corner kicks against Toronto, which was tied for the third most in franchise history. Here's Lennon talking about some of those crosses. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of clear that when we were playing at home against Toronto, they were, uh, you know, defending with numbers uh, inside their own box. And that's always tough to break down. So you have to get the ball wide and, and try and uh, put dangerous crosses into the box for your strikers. And, uh, you know, we created a lot of chances. Um, and we just, I, I think the goal we scored came from a, from a cross from the wide area, 
you know, got cut back by Derek and then Tiago uh, laid it off to Rosetta. So getting in those, go, those good crossing areas from, from wide areas is, is important for us. Atlanta United earned just 11 out of a possible 51 points from road games last season, which is just not nearly good enough and is one of the many, many reasons the team failed to make the playoffs for the second time in three years. Here's Lennon talking about the importance of getting off to a good start in its first road game. Very important. I, th- I thought we dropped two points this past weekend. You know, I thought that was a game that we should have gotten three points. So, you know, our focus is to, to go to Charlotte and uh, pick up all three points. And I followed that up by asking, is it just a matter of playing with more confidence or, or what is the key to being successful on the road? Yeah, it's confidence. I, I think we need to start mentally preparing uh, for these away games, knowing that, you know, we don't need to sit back and, and wait for the opponent to come to us. We can, you know, we can take the game to them, especially, uh, you know, on the road and, um, you know, put them under a little bit of pressure, which I thought we were hesitant to do last year. And I think this year we're, we're going to be way more on the front foot. I wrote about this a little bit in Wednesday's newspaper or Tuesday's AJC.com, and I've written about it before, but it's uh, the topic is primary assist zones. These are the zones from which a large percentage of goals are scored. The primary assist zones are, it's an arc. If you look a couple of yards, if you're looking at the inline, a couple of yards from the uh, goalpost, and then you were draw an arc about 20 yards up the sidelines and colored in that, that, that quarter of a pie area. That's kind of a primary assist zone. Atlanta did works to get the ball in those zones and hit crosses back in. They did a lot of that on Tuesday, but here's Amar Sadich. Uh, I was curious because he's a central midfielder. If it's almost like progressions for him, like a quarterback in a football game, is he looking outside first, inside first? How does that work for him when the primary assist zones are supposed to be such an important part of tactics? Uh, it just depends on the rhythm of the play. I mean, um, it just depends on the positioning of the other team, but we, we know what zones we have to occupy as uh, – we know where the six needs to be, where the two eights need to be. We know where our striker needs to be, and then obviously our fullback. So it just depends sometimes if you know Brooks is taking the wider route, then we know Louise is going to be on the inside, or vice versa. Maybe Louise is wide, and then Brooks is on the inside. So it just depends on the progression of play. But yeah, we're always looking to find uh, little combination plays with the triangles, diamonds that we make on the on the center to the uh, flanks, and then yeah, how can we get that ball into dangerous areas and progress from there. Sadich brought up Lennon coming inside and Arahujo staying outside. If you've noticed Lennon in the penalty box a lot more than in previous seasons, that's by design. He said he's trying to get inside more. He thinks he can score more goals. If you remember, he had a really good chance to get San Jose, but his shot went wide. But it's similar to what Andrew Gutman likes to do a lot of. He likes to get inside and let Wiley stay outside. Um, but they're both, I think, better players when they're attacking inside, but you both can't attack inside. Uh, but anyway... But here's Gutman talking about how he thinks the defense is doing. Yeah, I think it's been pretty good. Um, you know, I think we're still we're still working on a, a few things, but you know, overall, um, you know, we've been pretty solid defensively, and we just need to continue to keep improving on that. Gutman passed up a donut from Sublime. I bought some this morning for all the media folks that cover the team and offered him one, but he said no. And I joked that if he had one, it would have probably doubled his body fat with one bite. But they are so good. And here's Gutman talking about what the team is working on defensively right now. You know, just spacing, um, communication, understanding each other's, you know, tendencies when maybe someone's stepping out, um, cover or vice versa, stuff like that. Um, you know, I think this year especially, we, we just need to be better, you know, not conceding a, the amount of goals we did it, is last year. And, 
you know, it feels really nice to get a shutout. So we definitely want to go into Charlotte trying to get a shutout and, you know, get on a roll from there. Just to catch y'all up, you'll read more about this in a story tomorrow. But Atlanta United has just allowed two goals, which is among the fewest in Major League Soccer. The chances created against it are also among the fewest in Major League Soccer. But there are certain things that they're trying to improve, and you can read a little bit more about that in tomorrow's paper before I get on a plane to fly to Charlotte. Yes, I know I can drive to Charlotte. I don't want to drive up 85 through South Carolina. I'm not making this up, by the way. My first job was in Morganton, North Carolina in 1992. So sometimes I would come home to Atlanta. They were working on 85 in South Carolina in 1992, and it still has not stopped 31 years later. I hate that drive, so this time I chose to fly. But here's Gutman talking about the team's road struggles last year, and now they hope to fix that this season. I, I think it's just, you know, not really thinking about last year. You know, every season in MLS is different. We could go and win every single world game this year. But so it's just going into every single game, um, knowing that it is difficult to play on the road road in MLS, but also knowing that, you know, we want to impose our game plan on them, no matter home or away. Um, you know, we think we're a good enough team to, to do that. Um, so, yeah, it's just going into the games like we would in, in home games and trying to take that momentum, trying to score early and, and score first, especially. And, you know, hopefully we get results. If Atlanta United won every road game this season, they would far and away be – Supporter Shield winners, the number one seed in the East. Uh, that would be a crazy, crazy stat. But that's neither here nor there. And here's Gutman talking about their opponents on Saturday, Charlotte. I think they, they got some dangerous attackers. I think, um, you know, they they want to press high and they want to they press often. And they're going to be at home. And I don't know how many fans are going to be there, but, you know, they're going to be amped up for the game. And they're going to be running on, you know, emotion. They, they want to get their first three points. Um you know, so for us, we just have to understand what environment we're going into and also understand that to not play into into their press and not play into, you know, what they want us to do. Um, you know, I think we have a really good game plan going into that game, and, you know, I like our chances. And I asked Gutman to decide what the game plan was. No, I'm just joking. I didn't really do that. I was going to make a joke about, well, let's score more goals. But anyway, I blew the setup. I don't know if Bank of America is going to be a full stadium on Saturday, but I do know there will be at least a thousand Atlanta United supporters there because they use the tickets that are made available through buying season ticket passes to Atlanta United. It's a short drive mileage, not time-wise, through the barren wasteland that is I-85 in Upper South Carolina to get to Bank of America Stadium. But y'all don't want to hear my ruminations on transportation in the Palmetto state. Here's Gonzalo Pineda talking about Yurgos Yakamakis and Derek Etienne's fitness and the probability of them being able to go 90 minutes on Saturday. Yeah, they're getting better and better. Uh, I mean, again, you have to remember the past to understand the present and then the future. So uh, the past is uh, uh, they haven't played 90 minutes since a long time ago. They were not involved in Yurgos uh, in any uh, preseason game. Derek just in the last one for about 20 minutes against St. Louis. Uh, so, and he's been getting minutes uh, in every game after that, but n- not too many. So, the transition and the, uh, and the evolution of their game time has to be a little bit slower because of that. 
uh, Georgios is a little bit on the same path with a lot of moving parts, uh, you know, visas, uh, driving license, new house, family coming. So all of that takes in, con in consideration. And after that, we will make an evaluation on, on how many minutes they can play. If it is better to start them, uh, I think now they can last 45, 60. That's what I would say. So is, is it better to bring them since the very beginning? Uh, or is it better to have them with all that energy uh, around 45, 60 uh, or later? Like that's that's the discussions we have to have and, and we will we will determine that in the next few days. I've posted my predicted Atlanta United starting 11. You can find it in a story with the headline scouting report on Twitter at Doug Robertson AJC or on Facebook at Atlanta United News Now. If you want to see if I think Yorgos and Etienne are going to start for Atlanta United. Here's Pineda talking about how he thinks the defense is progressing this season. Yeah, a lot of a lot of improvement, but still not good enough. I mean, we have to understand that we, we love clean sheets. Uh, I, 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 I love that. I think uh, good defenders uh, in some ways win titles, win trophies, and uh, good defense is always a good sign of, of a good team. So as much as we are attacking-minded football and we want to attack, 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 the little moments where we defend, we need to be efficient. So. Yes, we've been many, many strides in many different things, how high we are this time, how compact we are in the, in the low block, in the middle block, how difficult it is to pass uh, the back line in certain moments, but still defending the box, that's where you know, uh, we need to do a little bit better. It would have been epic if Gonzalo Pineda would have started busting out some Sir Mix-a-Lot on we love clean sheets and we cannot lie. Good defenses can't deny. Anyway. Here's Pineda talking about the team being better on the road this season than it was last season. Well, I, I would say that in, in everything we need to do a little bit better, uh, winning away, uh, again, clean sheets, being better, defending, more consistency in the lineups. Uh, a lot of things have to happen to for us to improve on those numbers, winning away, winning home, more points in general. Uh, we are hungry for that. We are hungry for winning points away, winning points at home. Uh, we felt really like we lost two points the last weekend and, and we are with that hunger to go to Charlotte and, and try to take those points back. All right. When we come back, we're going to open the mailbag and unveil our very special sound effect. This is Doug Robertson of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, and this is Southern Fried Soccer from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. For those who don't know, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution has a special offer for our podcast listeners. If you subscribe today, you can get six months of unlimited digital access to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution for just 99 cents. That's all of our sports coverage, politics, breaking news, investigations, food and dining, etc. 
You can get all of our stories on AJC.com, access to our e-paper and our assortment of newsletters, including Bradley's Buzz from Mark Bradley. So join our community by going to subscribe.ajc.com slash podcasts. That's subscribe.ajc.com slash podcasts. So you always know what's really going on. And we've got a lot going on right now. We've got free agency about to start, and, and the Falcons are going to spend some uh, some money to try to get better. We've got Kennesaw State going to the NCAA tournament for the first time in school history. I was there covering that last Sunday, and what a fun environment that was. I'll be back up there on Sunday uh, watching the selection show with the Owls and writing about where they're going to go and who they're going to play. So I'm looking forward to that. We've got Braves in spring training with Justin knocking that out of the park. We've got Quinn Snyder and the Hawks with Lauren knocking that out of the park. Chip Towers always on top of the Georgia beat. Ken always on top of the Georgia Tech beat. And if I've forgotten someone, I apologize. But we really do a really great job of covering all the sports in Atlanta. So I hope that you'll consider subscribing and reading us. And you don't even have to get the paper paper if you don't want. You can get it on the e-paper. I enjoy reading the e-paper. Anyway. On to the mailbag, and I want to remind y'all, you can send in your voicemails for the mailbag, 770-810-5297. That's 770-810-5297. I'm going to give you a second to delete all the other contacts from your phone so that that is the only one left, so that every phone call you make goes to our voicemail, and you keep Daniel busy because I don't think he has enough to do right now. That's our producer. Okay, are you done? 770-810-5297. All right, on to the mailbag. Hernando says, Ha <laughs> ha, law and order. We had several controversial calls last Saturday. From my perspective, the referees were wrong, and it cost us points. What is the logic behind prohibiting coaches and players from criticizing referees? When did it start? Who holds referees accountable? Are we simply expected to hold on to the idea that these things even out at the end of the season? Yes, I think you should expect that these things even out over the course of a season. It's a long season. I do agree with you that the officials, they were wrong. And it's hard for me to explain what I'm thinking. They were wrong in a way. Had the lead official simply walked over and looked at the monitor and ruled that the offside call on Yakamakis' goal was correct, I would have been totally satisfied. But they didn't take that extra step, which is put into place to ensure that the referees get all the looks they need to make sure the calls are right, that would have been better, in my opinion. Uh, PRO, their employers, hold the referees accountable. I don't know when this started. I don't know why the coach, the coaches can criticize the officials. They just get fined. Do I think that's fair? I think it should be more like yellow cards. Like if you do it, if you accumulate a certain number of criticisms of officials, then you have to get fined. But to find them out of the first time that they want to say something, I think that's a little bit ridiculous. Henry, friend of the podcast, says, do you think Yakamaka starts on Saturday? I do not. That's the only hint I'm going to give you about my predicted starting 11 that you can find in scouting report at Lenny United at Charlotte on Twitter at Doug Robertson AJC. Is Parata going to continue to start ahead of Luis Abram? So this is really, really odd to me. I think Prada has played fairly well the first two games, but the team made such a big deal about having a left-footed center back. And he didn't start the first game, which was understandable, but then he didn't start the second game, didn't even come off the bench in the second game. So I'm not quite sure if he has something going on medically with him or he just needs a little bit more time to get acclimated. 
but it's just a little bit odd to me. Henry continues, what is your favorite ice cream flavor? Cookie dough, D-O-U-G slash H. Get it, Doug? Okay, Henry, you're not a dad, so you cannot make dad jokes yet. That's just, you're, it's a little too much. But my favorite ice cream flavor is Moose Tracks. And then a bonus question from Henry. Is there such a thing as Liverpool scoring too many goals, especially on Man United? No, there is not. Seven to nothing last week. I watched the first half, sat through halftime, and then I had to drive to Kennesaw State. So as I was walking to my car, which is just down the stairs and, and to the left, I get an alert that Liverpool scored. I was like, oh, okay, cool. As I walk back up the stairs to get something I'd forgotten, I get another alert. And I figure, oh, they must have wiped the goal off for VAR or, or something like that. Nope, Liverpool scored again. Got in my car, they scored again, scored again. Even the announcers were like, oh my God, this is too much. Even my mom was texting me about the Liverpool-Man United game as I was driving to Kennesaw. That's crazy. Adam says, While still early, how do you rate Charlotte as a new MLS franchise? I, I think it's too early for ratings. You know, they seem on the field to be a bit of a mess right now. They're kind of approaching Minnesota United territory in its first couple of years when it started, blew up, started, blew up. You know, got rid of their coach in the first season, hired a guy who may not have as much experience. So let's just give them a little bit of time. He continues, Atlanta isn't in this year's CONCACAF Champions League, but there is the upcoming Leagues Cup and U.S. Open Cup. To what extent would you emphasize or de-emphasize either competition as part of Atlanta's goals for a successful season? Well, I think that will depend upon how Atlanta United is doing within the MLS season when it reaches the Leagues Cup. The, the dates were announced for those games. Atlanta United will go to Miami July 25th, come back and host Cruz Azul on July 29th. I'll be stunned if it's a full open capacity stadium for that, because if they do, it could be filled with a whole lot of Cruz Azul fans, but we'll see. But if Atlanta United is doing decently in the league season and doesn't have a lot of injuries, I think they might be able to go for it in the league's cup. The U.S. Open Cup is just, who knows at this point? Who knows? On to a different Doug who says... As a member of the Get Fresh crew, that is a name for y'all that I had forgotten. That is a fantastic nickname for those who are friends of the podcast. But he's back for another podcast season. My question, in five years, Doug says, who is our biggest regional rival? Charlotte, Nashville, Orlando, Miami. So many possibilities with all the expansion. I think he's asking me to project five years from now. I don't know. I don't like it. When MLS tries to say these are rivals and rivalries, to me, a rivalry is when franchises meet with something actually on the line. And really, the only team that Atlanta United has consistently now done that against with playoffs, et cetera, are Red Bulls and NYCFC. So I would really consider them rivals ahead of Charlotte, Nashville, Orlando, and Miami. You just got to have some skin in the game. It can't just be regular season games. That's not how rivalries are built. It's playoffs or or playoff spots, or things like that. So let's just be patient. I think it's awesome that there are so many teams within just a few hours from Atlanta, specifically Charlotte, Nashville, and Orlando. But uh, I think it's just a little too early to try to predict those things. Rob, part of the Get Fresh crew, says, How would you rank the quality of the players who have started at striker for Atlanta United, listed alphabetically here, in the team's history? He actually forgot one in this list. 
and I'll get to him in a second. But going down the list, Cisneros, Conway, Dwyer, Gallagher, Giacomacus, Jean, Jones, Martinez, Viaba. Well, this is a fairly easy exercise. The one he forgot was Emmanuel Castro, who started one game for Atlanta in the uh, Orlando We're Back from COVID tournament. Uh, and one of the more curious decisions that Frank DeBoer made during his time. But the, it, this it goes like this. Martinez, Viaba, Cisneros, and then the rest. It's too early for Yakamakis. I can't rate him yet. But uh, we'll see by the end of the season. I imagine he will surpass Viaba to be second behind Joseph. Ben says... <laughs> I remain cautiously optimistic about the season after two solid performances and the potential of the preferred starting 11. However, one thing that resembles last year, it continues to bug me the past two matches. The team seems to create big scoring chances in the very beginnings of matches, but more often than not, it does not turn these chances into goals. After going through what seems like scripted attacks early, they run out of ideas, and this often leads to visible frustration on the field. Is converting those early chances the only way out of the cycle that eventually evolves into long shots and wayward crosses? Do you expect the team to attack at the beginning of the match against Charlotte the same way they have at home? So, there are a couple of things that go into this. Atlanta United's first two games were at home. We've seen in seven years or six-plus years of Mercedes-Benz Stadium that when most opponents come to the bins, they are not going to try to play. They are going to play a mid-block, a low-block, try to get a point, try to steal three points from a counter or a set piece and get out. So they will try to play in the very beginning, but when Atlanta United puts them under so much pressure, which you're talking about at the beginning of the games, then they kind of go into the low block and then it does become difficult for Atlanta United to break down. That's why signing Barry was so important. Signing Yakamakis was so important. Big target strikers, having Conway, having big target strikers who are as capable of heading the ball in, as just toe-poking the ball in, are going to be extremely important to Atlanta United, particularly when playing at home, when opponents aren't going to want to try to play very much. And anytime a team can go up, if Atlanta United can get that goal in the first 15 minutes, then the other team is going to have to try to play. He's going to have to go from a low block to a mid block, and then things are going to open up and Atlanta United can score more goals. But we'll see. And yes, I do expect the team to attack much more at the beginning of the match against Charlotte. He continues, my lawyer says international slots are way more valuable than a bag of coffee. The negotiations for a bag of Doug coffee should start at three bags. Well, you haven't had my coffee. It could be the worst coffee in the history of the world, for all I know. But on we'll go. Member of the Get Fresh crew and personal friend of mine, Dr. Fallis, says, he has two questions. He thinks success this year depends upon a few things. Obviously staying healthy, but also the offense depends upon Mateta, Mate, Mateus Huzetu playing more vertically. We saw him do that the last game, and he looked a lot better. I've heard Pineda encourage him to play more vertically. Will he change his game to what we saw last Sunday? Dr. Fallis does not like Mateus Huzetu as a player and says that to me quite frequently. And I don't blame him. He has been frustrating the previous three seasons. But this season, you are seeing him play more vertically. You are seeing him get involved in the attack. He did score the goal that helped earn the draw with Toronto last week, but he's probably going to miss the Charlotte game because of a little minor thing with his hamstring. Gonzalo Pineda told us on Thursday. The other factor he says is Brooks Lennon being able to connect his crosses. Now that he has a true center forward with speed and leaping ability, do you think we will see his assist go up this year or will it be more of those crosses that would be up mostly on the opposition? 
Lennon is faster than Gressel, but Julian had an amazing way to produce assists. Okay, this narrative, you know, I've gotten frustrated by this narrative, and I'm going to go into this again. Lennon has not had a consistent striker to play with since he got to Atlanta United. He hasn't. And if you look at the quality of the strikers he's been he's played with, it's nowhere close to what Julian Gressel had with Atlanta United. If you give Brooks Lennon a healthy Joseph Martinez or a healthy Tito Viaba or a healthy Miguel Almiron, there's no telling what his cross numbers will be. That's not to to denigrate Julian Gressel because he can hit a beautiful ball. And he did many, many times, and he still does for D.C., still does for Vancouver. But you can't compare the two players because it's not the same set of st- the, the same set of uh, corollaries, I guess, is the word I'm looking for. Now, if your ghost starts and starts consistently and the crosses aren't resulting in goals, then we could take another look at Brooks Lennon. But for now, you just you can't compare trying to play with Adam John or Eric Kubo Torres with playing with Joseph Martinez. You just can't. His second question is, when will uh, Lewis Abram or Abram be a starter? I don't think it's going to be this week, but we'll see. Do you think Pineda will sit Parata over Luis? I do not know yet. Apparently, Abram is a more cerebral defender and he's left-footed. Yes, I know those things because I've written those and tweeted those quite a few times. We will see. On to Nick, who says, And if y'all don't recognize that sound effect, I got nothing for you. But Nick says, what are some of your favorite places to eat or things to do in Charlotte? I'm doing just a day trip this time. My favorite thing to do in Charlotte is get out of Charlotte. I don't like Charlotte very much, to be quite honest with you. If I were you, I would try to get to Rock Hill, which is 30 minutes south of Charlotte. That's more my vibe. That's a fun little town. There are good places in Charlotte. I just, I'm always downtown, and because it's such a banking thing and because it's weekends, there's never anybody there. So uh, I, I wish I had more advice for you, but I don't. On to George, who says, The messy rumors to Miami have legs, especially now that PSG's got bounced out of the Champions League again. What would be the impact to Major League Soccer over the potential game in September? Would the team open the entire stadium? So here's a little theory, theoretical scenario that my friend Tim and I ran through the other day with Messi. He said basically a text to me, wouldn't it be great if Atlanta United tried to hijack Miami's move for Messi and they tried to sign him? So some quick back-of-the-envelope math that I did. Let's say they signed Messi to a two-year contract, okay? So that is a guaranteed 34 home games that Messi could potentially start. You open up the stadium to full capacity for those 34 games. Let's say that each of those new people who come to the stadium, or if it's the same person 34 times, spends $200. Let's say they buy a messy jersey, they buy food, whatever. You multiply the 34 times the 200, or I'm sorry, 17 times the 200 times 2. And I'm going to do the math again just because I want to make sure that I'm absolutely right on this. Yes. Okay. So you multiply the 17 by 2 by 200 by about 34,000. And Atlanta United could produce profits of $231.2 million. So how much could you pay Messi to come to MLS and Atlanta United? Offering $150 million over two years? You could still clear gross revenue, $80 million? That'd be a pretty, pretty cool deal. Be on national TV all the time. 
get the world's attention more than Major League Soccer already can do through the MLS Apple deal and other things, that would be a lot of fun. And there's only a couple of teams that could actually pay Messi that type of money and get the money back. And those are the ones that play in the nfl size stadiums. He's not going to go to Boston. I don't think he's going to go to Seattle. I mean, Miami's going to be the destination. But wouldn't it be funky if Atlanta United could hijack that move? Mike, new friend of the podcast, says... And again, if y'all don't like the sound effect, you can just text me or email me and tell me. As a new follower to the MLS, and I love it when people call it the MLS, can you give a quick rundown of what I should know about the outlook of the league? What are the top teams' storylines to know? An outlook of the league. It's a growing league. It's considered like the seventh best league in the world right now. Every year, its uh, expenditures for players coming in are going up. Its transfers out are going up, which is a good sign for the health of the league. Apple just agreed to spend as much as $2.5 billion to stream its games to more than 200 countries around the world, which is pretty important. I think Adidas agreed to an $800 million deal with, I think it was $800 million, with MLS to be the official kit provider and designer for the league. That's more money coming in. Its expansion fees per franchise are, are I think, surpassing $500 million, with two more teams likely to come in, which makes the uh, 70 million that Arthur Blank paid a drop in the bucket. The teams to watch are LAFC, the defending champs, Seattle, which is off to a good start, Atlanta United, which spends money, though it hasn't had a lot of success recently, Philadelphia, which has a good model for teams that don't want to spend a lot of money but still have success. You got to go through the heartland, Dallas, Houston, Kansas City, Austin, see what they do. One of the talking points right now is trying to get the legacy franchises, the original six or seven, to perform better on the field and be willing to spend more money. So we'll see what happens there. But it's going to be a fun season. And then what is your favorite episode of Modern Family, Mike says. I have two. When the whole family went to Australia and Phil walks up to the kangaroo and the kangaroo punches him out will make me pee my pants just about every time I see it. And the second is Cam and Mitchell's wedding. Any episode that features Pepper Saltzman, played by the very talented Nathan Lane, is worth the price of admission. He steals every scene, even though he's in very few scenes. All right. And that is going to wrap up this Southern Fried Soccer podcast. I'm your host, Doug Robertson. Find me on Twitter at Doug Robertson AJC, on Facebook at Atlanta United News Now, and on Instagram at Douglas David Robertson. Atlanta United will play Charlotte on Saturday. Kickoff is 1225, Fox, or your Apple channel, or you can follow my Twitter coverage, or you can listen to 92.9 FM. Please make sure that you're also supporting the other guys who cover the team because they all write different things and you get more information. Sam Jones at the Striker, Scars and Spikes podcast, Samper United, uh, Five Stripes After Dark, Soccer Down Here, Dirty South Soccer, all those guys. Make sure you follow them. As always, hug your loved ones, communicate with your loved ones. Y'all take care. In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces, as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. 
The AJC's trusted veteran political voices, Greg Bluestein, Patricia Murphy, Tia Mitchell, and Bill Nygut are the essential source for Georgia politics. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution's Politically Georgia. Sign up for the newsletter, download the podcast, subscribe to the AJC.